together. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, speaking of Jesus, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. The title of our Bible study this evening is a question directed at each and every one of you and at me. Here's the question. Are you running your race? Are you running your race? How effectively are you running your Christian race? That's the question we're going to consider this evening. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we um, self-evaluate a little bit. And then, Lord, we're inspired and encouraged by those who've gone before us, but most importantly by you. Thank you, Jesus, that you ran your race and you crossed the finish line. And now you stand there at our finish line with your arms open, with nail prints in your hands and your feet. And, Lord, you're there. And, Lord, you're the prize that we receive for running our race and running it well. And so, Lord, help us to both be motivated and inspired by what you did. And then, Lord, encourage for us to continue to move forward for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, a lady by the name of Marla Runyon gave her all to qualify for the Olympic Games in 1996. But her best time finished short of the mark to make the United States track team. Undeterred by that failure, she returned in 2000 and made the team for the Sydney Olympics. Her eighth place finish in the 1500 meter race was the best ever for a United States woman runner. The thing that makes Runyon's accomplishment even more remarkable is that she is legally blind. She is the first legally blind athlete to ever qualify for and compete in the Olympic Games. After her Olympic career was over, she switched to running marathons and in 2002 posted the second fastest debut marathon ever by an American woman. Runyon can only see shapes and blurs, but she says that her lack of vision is actually an asset. Now check this out. She just focuses on the finish line in front of her rather than looking around to see what the other runners are doing. Not having visual distractions helps her compete and win her races. The same thing can be true in our lives. There will always be things that try to pull us away uh, uh, from what we should be focused on doing. Many times these good things, these are good things, but we must be willing to set them aside and stay focused on what is most important. No matter what is going on around us, Jesus never changes. And listen, listen, as long as we're focused on Jesus, we will stay on course. We will stay on course. When I was a boy, my dad would take me out and have me help him cut lawns. And he would be on the riding John Deere mower and he would give me the heavy, uh, uh, the heavy push mower. And my weak little 12, 13 year old arms would be pushing this heavy, and this is back before the days of the self-propelled lawn mowers that our soft kids use today. Amen. Uh, this is back when you had a snapper lawnmower that seemed like it weighed a ton. And you'd get behind that lawnmower and you'd push and push and push. And I can remember I'd get to the end of cutting that lawn, that field, and I'd turn back and see a crooked line. You know why that line was crooked? Because I was watching right in front of me instead of setting my eyes 
on a distant point. And so if I wanted to straighten out the line, what I would do is I would fix my eyes on a fence post of where I wanted to go. And instead of looking at each little spot in front of me, I would stay the course by pushing straight at that fence post. My friend Jesus is standing at the finish line. And there are all sorts of things that want to detour us and detract us and to get, uh, distract us and get us off our course. But Jesus says, put your eyes on me and run your race. We're going to look at three thoughts from Hebrews 12, 1 down through 4 as we consider this question that all of us need to answer, am I running my race or are you running your race? Let's look at point number one. I encourage you to fill out the outline there on the back of your uh, uh, prayer bulletin. Notice point number one, the Christian's encouragement. The Christian's encouragement. Look at the beginning of verse number one. Wherefore, now let's stop there. That's a big word. And I don't just mean it's a high letter count. I mean that word wherefore means consider what we just got through reading. Well, what did we just get through reading? We just got through reading and studying all of Hebrews chapter number 11. And it took us as a church 18 weeks to get through Hebrews chapter 11. Boy, we covered a lot of ground. In fact, Hebrews 11 covers almost the whole entire Old Testament in some form or fashion, uh, talking to us about those who were the heroes of the Old Testament. They were heroes not for what they did. They were heroes for the faith that they had. So, wherefore, wherefore, keeping in mind what we just read, seeing we are also compassed about or surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses. Uh, So question here, who is in the crowd of witnesses? This is describing those who went before us. Those who went before us, they put their faith and trust in Jesus, and uh, they died and they're now in heaven. They are the saints in heaven. These are those who walked by faith. In ancient Corinth, there used to be staged the Isthmian Games. These were the forerunner to the modern Olympics. There were many events, but the one which received the most attention was the relay race. Listen to this. The competitors lined up side by side at the starting line, like most races, each bearing a torch. In the distance waited still another line of men, and still farther on other lines. When the signal was given, the men started to run, bearing their lighted torches. When a runner reached his partner in the next line, he would pass on his light, and so on from man to man until the finish line was reached. With the famous relay race in mind, the Greeks coined a phrase, let those who have the light pass it on. You see, that is how it works for us today. Those who lived before us, they carried the light, and they've handed it on to the next generation, that handed it on to the next generation, that hands it on to the next generation, and now it is our turn to run the race and bear the light of the gospel. We have a rich heritage dating back to Abel, the first person born from a woman of those who lived and died by faith. So, who passed the light on to who? Well, Abel passed it on to Enoch. Who passed it on to Noah? Who passed it on to Abraham and Sarah? Who passed it on to Isaac and Rebekah? Who passed it on to Jacob and Rachel? Who passed it on to Joseph? Who passed it on to Moses? Who passed it on to Joshua and Rahab? And passed it on to the Israelite nation? Who passed it on to Gideon and Samson and then Jephthah and Barak and Samuel and, and on to the prophets and then on to Jesus and then on to the apostles and, and then we see that the apostles, boy, they ran their race and they, they carried their light as it's been passed on. And we see that Stephen was stoned and James and Paul were beheaded and Philip, Jude, Bartholomew and Solomon, history tells us, were crucified and James the Less was stoned and had his brains bashed out of his head with the club and Matthias was stoned and beheaded and Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross and 
Mark was drugged to pieces behind a horse, and Peter was crucified upside down, and Thomas was killed by having a spear ran through his body, and Luke was hanged, and John was boiled in oil. But all of these men carried the light. They carried the torch of faith, and they passed it on from one generation to the next. We have other believers who took the torch from these New Testament saints and have likewise carried it valiantly. Some have been tortured and killed. Others have not been tortured and killed. But the torch has been taken and has been passed generation to generation. Please hear what I'm saying this evening is that it's your turn and it's my turn to run my race and for you to run your race because going all the way back to Abel, there have been people that have run the race and the generation coming behind us, they are counting on us to take the torch and run our race. We have a cloud of witnesses going all the way back to Abel who are in heaven and looking down on us and they are encouraging us. They are cheering us on. They are in the bleachers of heaven. I think of my godly grandmother, Louis, uh, Louise Atkins, who um, all the way up into her 80s, she died at, I believe, the age 82, but up until the age 80, she was still taking out young ladies in their 20s out on Saturday morning bus visitation and soul winning and training girls in their 20s how to lead a soul to Christ. Boy, she was faithful to her husband in marriage and raised three daughters and a son. Uh, one of those daughters was my mother and taught them to love God and be pure and put others first. And she ran the 4-H club out of a basement and taught girls how to sew. And if there was ever a Proverbs 31 woman that walked the earth, my grandmother was one of those women. Was my grandmother tortured for her faith? No. Was my grandmother persecuted and burned at the stake? No. Was my grandmother hanged on a tree or crucified on a cross for her faith? No. But she joins the grandstands of heaven. She's died and gone on before us. And she looks down and she cheers me on as I take my turn and bear my torch. Now, you may not have a rich heritage of, of, of uh, a family who were believers in the Lord, who are in heaven now. But chances are you know someone who's passed on who was a Christian. How many of you here have gone to church with people who you loved dearly and they were godly folks and they've gone on to heaven? Amen? You know what? They're in heaven right now. They're looking down on us and they're wanting us to run our race well. You know, I don't think that those that are in heaven are able to look down and see when we sin. And, and I don't know exactly how it works, but I don't think God lets them look down on us and watch us at our worst. But I do think that God opens up heaven a little bit and allows them to see us with what we're doing. And I wonder right now if in heaven there aren't those who were members of White Oak Baptist Church and they've died and gone on to glory, gone on to heaven. People like Mary Verone who are in heaven right now and uh, others who uh, lived and died and were a part of this church and invested in the church. I wonder if right now they're looking down from heaven on this service right now and the discipleship course that's going on. And on most Wednesdays when we have a children's program and a teen program and if they're not cheering us on and cheering for us to do what's right. The Christian's encouragement. Notice number two. The Christian's exhortation. The Christian's exhortation. And that word exhort, it means to prod. It means to push. It means to uh, 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 exhort someone or tell someone to do something with great force or energy. It's similar to the idea of compelling someone to do right. Letter A notice the principle of purpose. I'm going to give you four principles that I see here in Romans chapter 12, verses one, uh, verse 1. rather. Look at verse number 1 here. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us. Look here, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Let us run the race that is set before us. You know, the truth is, most Christians don't even know what race they're supposed to run. Most folks who are saved, they're just casually walking through life, and uh, they're, not, they're not happening to the Christian life. The Christian life is kind of happening to them. 
They make it into church on Sunday morning once every couple weeks. They, they read their Bible when things are going really bad. They pray, but only in times of desperation. By the way, you have desperation praying, right? And then you have devotion praying, right? Where you get more in the habit of praying. Uh, and, and a lot of Christians, the only time they pray is when things are really, really bad. Things are really, really bad. And they can't manage things. And you know what? They're not really running the race. They're not really running the race. Um, they're more jogging and then going and sitting on the sidelines. Let me just say that when I was an athlete uh, in high school, uh, for uh, from my fifth grade year to my tenth grade year, I was in schools that had a basketball team. And I played on those basketball teams. And then after I got out of college, I worked at some Christian schools, and I was a basketball and a soccer coach. And I loved doing that. Can I tell you something? When I was a fifth grader playing on the junior varsity team in my small little Christian school, I started out on the bench. But do you know where I sat on the bench? I sat right next to the coach. And you know what I used to say to the coach? Coach, put me in the game. Coach, put me in the game. Coach, put me in the game. And I remember one time the coach looked at me and said, if you ask me again, you're never going in the game. Leave me alone. And then when I got good enough to start... And I would start the game on the court. And the coach would send a sub to the table to come in. I would look over and see the sub there during the game action. I'd think, I sure hope that he's not coming in for me. I wanted to be in every minute of the game. I did not want to come out. I did not want to rest. I didn't care how tired I was. I wanted to play the entire game. Just leave me in, coach. Let me play. Listen, I remember one time I was playing, and I knocked knees with an, uh, with an opponent, and my knee was hurting, and I could barely walk. And the coach sent someone to the scores table to come in for me, and I looked at the coach and said, I'll be fine. Leave, him in, I'll, leave me in. Leave me in, coach. I'll be fine. And so the coach called him back, and I played through it. I wanted to be on that court. But then there were other people on the team. They were playing because mom and dad made them. And you know what? They didn't go sit next to the coach. They went and sat on the other end of the bench next to the water boy. And uh, they weren't watching the game. They weren't paying attention to what was going on. Right? They were there so they could go to McDonald's when the game was over, on the way home, on the away trips. They weren't really there to have fun. And, and listen, I remember the coach getting all over them. Hey, what happened on the last play? They couldn't tell you. Hey, why, why was that guy wide open to shoot that shot? They couldn't tell you. They were not engaged. And you know what? I see the same thing true with Christians today. Some Christians, they want to run the race and they don't want to ever rest. They don't ever want to come out. They want to do what's right all the time. And then you have other Christians, they only come in when they have to. Oh, pastor, okay, I'll help. I'll help, but only if you come and stay on my case about it. You know why? I'm too busy running a different race. I don't have time for the Christian race. Christian, do you know your purpose in the Christian life? Are you running the race that the Lord Jesus has set before you, or are you on the sidelines? Hey, really quick on this. Do you know the people that are the most critical in a church are the people who are casual about running their own race? It is really easy for you to sit on a sideline and criticize the people that are running. And I know I've used this example before, so excuse me for being repetitive, but I just can't help myself. It's that big fat guy sitting in the stands at a professional football game with a beer and hot dog in his hands, yelling and screaming at the guy because the ball went through his hands and he didn't catch it. Excuse me, sir, you are overweight and you have no ability and you want to yell at the freak athlete on the field who can run laps around you. And you know what? That's what I see in churches. People who are spiritually overweight, they don't walk with God, they don't give a dime, they don't lay a finger, but they can get online and they can criticize anything and everything wrong at the church. You know who doesn't criticize the people at the church, the people who are in there working and sweating alongside with the pastor and the staff to propagate the gospel and get things right. Boy, you know what? If the pastor has a bad day and he's in the flesh or he preaches a dud of a sermon as I do from time to time, they're not thinking critical thoughts. They say, you know what? Let me come next to you, pastor. Let me help you up. Let me help you out because we're in this together. 
Are you running your race with purpose? Do you even know what God's called you to do? You say, Pastor, I don't know what God's will for my life is. It's right here from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. Get in your Bible and read it and learn it and live it. And you say those things that I don't know that I'm supposed to do, God will reveal to you in time when you do what you, what you know is right. The principle of purpose, let her be notice, the principle of prohibition. The principle of prohibition. Look back at verse number 1 of Hebrews 12. It says there, it says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside, notice that, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which doth so easily beset us. The sin which doth so easily beset us. Now, we, we talked a few minutes ago about the games and the relay race where they would pass the torch. And by the way, we, we, the Olympics got delayed or postponed a year, but every year they have the Olympics, they still carry this tradition where they'll run across the country where they're having that, uh, the Olympics that year and they pass the torch. Right? From one person to the next. And then part of the opening ceremony is the last person runs in and lights the torch, right? Takes the torch and lights the big torch in the stadium. And so that tradition is, is carried on. But do you know that relay race? It wasn't about being the first one across the line. Notice this. It was the first one that crossed the line that still had the torch lit. You see that? And a lot of Christians are running life 100 miles an hour, and they're running it life so fast that their Christian light is extinguished. They're so busy being successful at business, and they're so busy at being successful with helping their kids get on a career path, and they're so busy at being married, and they're so busy at, at whatever it is in their life, Raising money to buy a new car or a new house or be, be materialistic or have that money in the bank that their Christian light is out. Their Christian light is out. And my friend, it's not about how fast you move through life. It's about finishing the race with your light still lit. What extinguishes our flame? You know, in a word, it's sin. It's sin. Here's how this works. When the Bible says not to do it, whether or not we agree with it, we're not to do it. Amen? You know, if um, you go to work and tell everyone you're a Christian, and then they hear you laughing at a dirty joke, you know what that does? Blows your light out. It's kind of hard for you to be a witness when you're laughing at dirty jokes. Right? You're, uh, you're sitting at the lunch table and all the other men at the table are bashing their wives. Yeah, my old woman this. The old ball and chain that. And you join in. It's kind of hard for you to tell them, hey, why don't you come to church with me on friend day when you've been putting your spouse down the way they've been putting theirs down. Hey, to the children and teenagers in the room, it's kind of hard for you to take a stand for Christ when cuss words and taking God's name in vain, you do just to join in with the crowd and be cool and fit in. Oh, now, now I'm going to take a stand for Jesus. Yeah, you were cussing up a blue streak in the locker room. Right? You go to the, 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 the work Christmas party and you drink the spiked eggnog. You get a little tipsy. You act a fool. Hey, you want to come to the Christmas Eve service at my church? Boy, we're putting our light out, aren't we? We can't run our race well and have that light lit. Matthew five fourteen through 16, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Letter A, the principle of purpose. Have you found the purpose with which God has called you? Are you running the race? Letter B, the principle of prohibition. Letter C, the principle 
of prioritization. The principle of prioritization. Go back to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, hey, that's our encouragement. Let us lay aside every weight. That's an exhortation. Look here. Let us lay aside every weight, every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us. Now, what does that mean? That means there are some things that are not, it's not a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter of, should I or shouldn't I? Amen? Hey, you know, um, this is popular for Christian teenagers to do. You know how I know? Because I did it too when I was a teenager. Pastor, what's wrong with fill in the blank? Well, where does it say in Scripture, I can't fill in the blank? You know what that shows? That shows an immature attitude. How about this question instead? Pastor, what's right with... Hey, Pastor, if I do this, will it help me better run my race? You know, if you're going to be a world-class track athlete, you have to live a totally different lifestyle. I went online when I was putting this message together, and I looked up what the recommended diet is for a peak track star. You ready for this? They eat different than we do. Well, maybe not for some of you. They eat different than I do. Amen? Uh, No Big Macs, Whoppers, cheesesteaks, bowls of ice cream. Amen, April? We like our ice cream, don't we? They don't do any of that stuff. Here is the diet Recommended diet for a runner. It's recommended they start each morning with a nutritious breakfast to kickstart their metabolism and lay the foundation of energy they'll need for the day. Two or three eggs with one or two pieces of toast and a cup of natural orange juice or oatmeal oatmeal with nuts and berries. No sugar. No brown sugar. Amen. Uh, Lunch. Here's what it's recommended for lunch. Aim to get a source of Protein paired with green leafy vegetables. Chicken breast filet on top of salad piled high with carrots, peppers, and cucumbers. A sandwich made with whole heart bread, uh, whole wheat bread rather, turkey, lettuce, and tomato with a side salad. Before training or races, for your body to perform at its best, it needs plenty of fuel. However, make sure to keep all snacks light. One or two pieces of fruit or or a granola bar. After training or races, in order to recover, your body needs proteins and more carbs. So lean cut of meat and with a starch like potatoes, serving a pasta with marinara sauce, and a protein source such as fava beans. Before bed, take in extra protein to help your muscles recover while you sleep and have you, uh, you feeling fresh the next morning. A 20 to 40 uh, gram protein shake, a, a quarter cup of almonds. The, the food you eat uh, can vary. Just remember the instructions are the best diet for track and field runners is a simple one. Keep the carbs clean and balance them out with protein. You know why? Because if you go off and you eat an unhealthy diet, those are weights that keep you from running your race effectively. But it doesn't just end with your diet. You see, if the... Um, the track star, track athlete's going to do well. They need to be careful with what they wear on the track. And so I went on a website entitled simplyfaster.com. Simplyfaster.com. And they have everything from the way your apparel looks for like a football player to uh, the type of clothes a track athlete should wear. The function of your competition uniform is obviously more important than their form. However, advances by apparel companies have taken the job of functionality out of your hand for the most part. Listen to this. Nobody wears heavy cotton jerseys or big baggy shorts in track and field anymore. Basically, all the outfits on the market are of high-quality fibers that are great for performance. Still, having a knowledge of the various uniforms can put your team at an advantage. Boy, the 
the way the outfits are put together. I, I read something else about swimming stars. And uh, those are in a swimming meet. They wear a compression suit that takes them 10 to 15 minutes just to get it on. And uh, they can only wear it in one track meet. And it's meant to help them maximize their speed in the water. You see, for the the, the track star or the swimmer to really win the race to perform at peak performance, they don't just have to set aside things that are sinful. They have to set aside things that are weighty. Um, So, you know, I can hear Trackstar saying to his uh, nutrition coach, what's wrong with me stopping on the way in to my meat and having a Big Mac meal? What's wrong with it? And the answer is nothing. But you're not going to win, knucklehead. Right? Right? I, I can see a track star showing up with a, a big camo jacket on and camo pants on and Timberland boots on and getting down on the blocks and ready to run. And his, his coach coming up to him and saying, what are you doing? You'll never win in that outfit. Well, what's wrong with this? Is it sinful for me to wear these things? Well, no, it's not sinful. But it's foolish. And a lot of Christians walk around saying, well, what's wrong with me, watch, me watching this on TV? And What's wrong with me not uh, uh, going here or there? What's wrong with me saying this or that? Or what? And listen, at some point, you must mature in your Christian life to a place where you quit asking what's wrong with it and you start looking at it and saying, that is keeping me from running my race that God has called me to run. And I'm going to set that to the side, not because it's right or wrong, but because it's keeping me from being effective for the kingdom of heaven. All for Christians that would learn to live a life of simplicity. We have to have everything. The best of the best. Boy, we don't buy cars and run them in the ground anymore. No, we have leases and we constantly have payments to make. And that just drives up how much more we have to work and how much money goes out the door. And if you have a lease on a car, I'm not putting you down. I'm just trying to more make a point that we must be careful about where our priorities are. Some of us are going to get to heaven and we're going to have millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars in a retirement fund, but our bank account in heaven is going to be empty. What good does that do you? You don't get to take the money in your retirement fund. That gets left here. That's going to burn up with a fervent heat. But what you lay up in heaven, you'll have forever. Too many Christians have their priorities in the wrong place. You cannot run that race that God has called you to run by faith. Do you think that Moses and Abraham were concerned about their retirement plan? Moses is just concerned about living to tomorrow. Raising that rod and parting the Red Sea and getting the Israelites across and getting them to the promised land. Moses was consumed with living a life by faith. And you know what? We need Christians who will do the same today. Letter D, the principle of patience. The principle of patience. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Please look back there with me. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us. And look here, let us run with patience. Let us run with patience the weight that the, the race is set before us. When I was an eight and nine year old boy, I participated in my first school um, uh, fundraiser jogathon. How many know what a jogathon is? You have an idea what that is, Brother Greer? Are you familiar with the jogathon? And uh, so the way it works is you go around to your family and friends and you send them a letter. And in the letter it says, uh, "Hey, I'm going to be running a, a, a running for 30 minutes, and the laps are this long, a quarter mile track. And how much would you sponsor me per lap, right?" And uh, you get them to uh, commit to so much per lap. And, and I remember uh, the day came where we were going to run. It was the first time doing this. And I was a seven, eight-year-old boy. And I was so excited. I was going to go run for, I don't know, 45 minutes, I think it was. And boy, all of us, eight, seven, eight-year-old boys, we lined up there at the front of the line. And we waited for the cap gun to be shot in the air. And boy, we were going we to be the fastest runner on that day. And I remember uh, the, the recess in PEs leading up to it was, 
was the talk of, I'm going to be faster than you. And no, I'm going to be faster than you. The day came when the cap gun was fired. And, we, and I remember I took off. Man, I shot, shot off the uh, starting line like a, like a bullet out of a gun. I was just full sprint, full speed ahead. And you know what? I got about halfway around that quarter mile track. And I put my hands on my knees. <sighs> I started huffing and a puffing, and you know what? Those kids who started out at a slower pace, they came running right by me. The tortoise and the hare. Amen? And I had to learn really quick to pace myself. To pace myself. There's somebody here tonight, or maybe no one here, but someone watching online. And if, it, if this isn't you, maybe this was you and you've learned. But we want the Christian life so bad that when we first get saved, we sprint off the line. And my friend, if you don't see the results that you want right away, remember that the Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. Please hear what I'm about to say. The Christian life is not measured in weeks or months or years. The Christian life is measured in decades. It's measured in decades. It's not, can you be faithful 30 days from now or 30 weeks from now? It's, are you still going to be running your race 30 years from now? And you have to understand that along the journey, along the race, there are going to be some failures. There are going to be times where you pull a hamstring. There are going to be times where you're tripped up and you, you fall and you, you skin your knee and you bleed a little bit and you have to get up and dust yourself off and maybe see a spiritual doctor and get some spiritual medicine, but you get back on the track and you go and you run and you run and you run. The principle of patience. Although things are not perfect because of trial or pain, continue in the thanksgiving, do not begin to blame. Even when the times are hard, fierce winds are bound to blow. God is forever able. Hold on to what you know. Imagine life without His love. Joy would cease to be. Keep thanking Him for all the things love imparts to thee. More, uh, move out of camp complaining. No weapon uh, that is known uh, on, on earth can yield the power praise can do alone. Quit looking at the future. Redeem the time at hand. Start every day with worship. To thank is a command. Until we see Him coming victorious in the sky, we'll run the race with gratitude, exalting God most high. Yes, there will be good times. And yes, some will be bad. But Zion waits in glory where none are ever sad. The principle of patience. Number one, we saw the Christian's encouragement. Number two, the Christian's exhortation. Lastly, notice number three, the Christian's example. The Christian's example. And who is the example? Look at verse number two. Looking unto Jesus. He's the answer, isn't he? He is our example. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Look here. Who for the joy that was set before him. Notice letter A, Christ's joy. Christ's joy. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Can everybody look up here at me for a minute? Do you know what the joy of Jesus' race was? Do you know what the carrot on the end of the stick being dangled out in front of Jesus was? It was me and you. It was our redemption. It was seeing us having our fellowship with God the Father restored. In fact, Paul would echo this sentiment in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. He says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming? Pastor Morales preached on a Sunday morning a couple of weeks ago, a sermon entitled, Something Greater Than Going to Heaven. You know what that is? Taking someone with you. You know, it, Jesus lived in heaven, but He was willing to leave heaven and go through and endure some pretty horrible things in the race of His life in order to receive the crowning joy of knowing that by coming to earth and enduring those things, He would take us with Him that believe. Amen? You fix your eyes on the finish line, Christian, knowing 
that there is a joy awaiting if you'll run your race. Letter B, Christ's journey. Look back at verse number 2. Let's read down through verse number 4. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, look what He had to go through here. It says, endured the cross, despising the shame. That means He became our sin. And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at verse 3. For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted in the blood, striving against sin. You know what he's saying there is when you think that your journey is difficult, remember you've never had to resist sin with your blood. Remember that uh, you never had to deal with the contradiction of sinners on the level that Jesus had to deal with it. The next time you want to throw in the towel when you think the journey gets too hard and you want to quit, remember, you didn't have to endure the cross. You didn't have to despise the shame. You didn't have to endure such contradiction of sinners that Jesus had to. You know what we're being told here? When it gets tough, don't quit! Don't quit. Boy, the sidelines of the Christian race are littered with people who walked off the track and said, I quit. I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. I don't want to worship. I don't want to sing. I don't want to praise. I don't want to have anything to do with the Christian life anymore. I quit. It's too hard. And God says the next time you're tempted and you get to that point, you turn and you look at the cross and you realize what Jesus went through. And you determine that if He could finish, so can I. Derek Redman was a great runner. But he was an even greater finisher. Derek will forever be remembered for his staggering performance in the 400-meter men's semifinal during the Summer Olympics of 1992 in Barcelona, Spain. After years of training persistence and self-discipline, Derek was competing on the world stage. His dream had become a reality. Halfway through his 400-meter race, Derek pulled a hamstring muscle and began to stumble on the track. Writhing in pain, he watched the other runners quickly pass him and his dream of winning die. But staying down wasn't in Derek's blood. Though winning was out of the question, finishing his race was not. As the medical crew arrived on the scene, Derek said, There's no way you will help me off this track. I'm going to finish my race. In a stadium packed with 65,000 fans, with millions viewing around the world, Derek slowly struggled to his feet. In spite of the agonizing pain, he began hobbling toward the finish line line in last place. Tears began to stream down his face uh, with agony on his face as his heart was filled with disappointment. Yet he was determined to finish his race. At that point, a large man from the top row of the stands began to run toward the track. It was Tim Redman. Derek's father, disregarding security guards and running over people determined that no one would stop him, he ran to his son's side. At first, Derek tried to push him away, not realizing it was his father. He thought someone was trying to get him to quit the race. Derek, it's me. Recognizing the familiar voice, Derek said, Dad, I have to finish this race. If you're going to finish the race, then we'll finish it together. With those words, his father took his son in his arms, and together they began to hobble down the track. By this time, the other runners had completed the race, and the crowd realizing that Derek wasn't hobbling off the track, but rather he was hobbling toward the finish line on just one leg with his father on his side. In total disbelief, 65,000 fans stood to their feet and began to cheer. The roar of the crowd increased with every painful step. Approaching the finish line, Derek was clinging to his father, While clinging to his father, uh, he came across the finish line while the crowd exploded into thunderous applause and emotional release. Derek would collapse in his father's embrace and both wept on each other's shoulders along with 65,000 fans and millions of viewers. Derek had finished a race. 
the world would never forget. Roll the tape at this time. Tom Hammond and Craig Massback back at Olympic Stadium in Barcelona coming up to the men's 400-meter semifinals. Here are the lane assignments. Steve Lewis in lane three. Top four to Wednesday's final. Steve Lewis in lane three. Roberto Hernandez out quickly in four. Now down the back stretch. Ismael on the left of the screen is running very, very quickly. And inside of Lewis, Sunday Bada of Nigeria. And Derek Redman of Great Britain has pulled up with an injury. Redman is out. Derek Redman, the British record holder and an important member of that British 4 by 400 meter relay team because he doesn't want anybody to help him. It'll be Lewis to win in 44.50. Look at this. He's going to try to finish his semifinal race. The British have a certain tradition of running, which you have to respect. A bizarre finish to this first semifinal in the men's 400 meters. Derek Redmond of Great Britain pulled up with an injury halfway down the back stretch. He's fighting off those trying to help him to finish the race in his lane. And now the pain too much. throughout Olympic Stadium as Redmond, with assistance this time, approaches the finish line he had wanted so desperately to reach. That is the Olympic spirit. Christian, are we going to let a man running a physical race be more determined to finish than us running a spiritual race? Listen, I know sometimes life kicks us in the hamstring and we're down. We can come up with a million reasons why we can't finish. But we're called to get up and finish our race. Some Christians tonight need to get off the sideline and get back in and start running again. You, you, you did run well. What did hinder you, Paul said? You know, as I watched the 65,000 people in that stadium cheer for Derek, I think about the millions of people who sit in the grandstands of heaven cheering you on when you get up hurt and injured and wounded and you keep running anyway. Jesus was wounded with our transgressions. He was bruised with our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. By His stripes we are healed. But Jesus didn't call the angels to keep Him and carry Him off the track. Jesus endured the contradiction of sinners and He crossed the finish line. And He stands at your finish line waiting for you to finish your race by faith. And the question tonight is this. Are you running your race? Or have you quit because the journey is too hard? Letter A, we see Christ's joy. Letter B, Christ's journey. Let her see, and lastly, notice Christ's jubilation. 
Christ's jubilation. Look down at verse 2 of Hebrews 12. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And I love the southern vernacular here. And is set down. Set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Where's Jesus now? Well, he's resurrected from the dead and he's sitting in heaven. He's sitting in heaven. Amen. He's sitting in heaven at the right hand of the Father. You know what is going to happen from that throne he sits on one day? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is God to the glory of the Father. Please hear what I'm about to say because this is the end of the sermon. But this is so crucial. The prize for the Christian is not awarded to the one who finishes first. It is rewarded to the Christian that finishes. You're not racing me, and I'm not racing you. Because your journey is a little bit different than my journey. The question isn't, are you a good Christian compared to the person sitting around you? The question is, are you the Christian God's called you to be? Are you running that race? Are you running your race the way He wants you to? Because you cross that finish line by faith. The outstretched hands of Jesus are there waiting for you to finish that race. And boy, the prize that awaits in heaven for those that don't walk off to the side those that finish. I'm not talking about whether or not you go to heaven. If you're saved, you're going to go to heaven. But I'm talking about whether or not you finish the race Jesus has specifically called you to do. Christian, are you running your race tonight? Let's pray. Lord, would you help us to evaluate where our focus and attention is? Some of us need to reprioritize our life. Some of us are just too distracted. We're running, but we're running with a with a pair of Timberlands on. We're running with a, a trench coat on. We're not wearing the proper gear. We're not eating the proper spiritual diet. We're sluggish. We're slow. Some folks are just sitting on the sideline. Lord, would you help us to get in the race? and run it, and give it our best. Lord, one day we'll have heaven to rest. We'll have heaven where we'll be rewarded. Lord, when we get discouraged, help us to set our eyes on you, and the millions in heaven that cheer us on. In Jesus' name we pray.